0: Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to a Better Bible. We're on the fourth book, the penultimate book of the law, or the books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, or the Torah, you know, the important bit. Rest of Old Testament, kind of filler. Okay, we open on the old Mount Sinai still, and we're getting ready to leave, to take on this whole wilderness years bit. But, before we do that, God needs to have Moses count everyone. So he does. All the peeps are split into the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, from earlier, way back in Exodus, they sorted that out. Everyone has to get ready for war. Apart from the Levites, those denim bastards are in charge of looking after the Ark of the Covenant, ensuring Han Solo or Nazis don't try to rob it, things like that. So we do counting. Just in case you're interested, there was about 40,000 in each of the 12 groups. Uh, So, more people than you would have thought. There is a shitload of them. Next, they're told who sits next to who. Really, God goes into quite a lot of depth on what is essentially seating plan. Which I I guess is fair enough, as they are going to be knocking about like this for the best part of 40 years. So you really don't want to be stuck next to a dick. Although they don't explain in any way how the order has worked out. At no point does it say, and lo, the sons of Reuben were split up from the sons of Benjamin because frankly, MAJOR beef, and that one called Ben's mama slag didn't happen. We celebrate all that counting with a bit of genealogy, for colour, no doubt. And a new rule is introduced. There'll be a couple of on-the-road rituals that require badger skin, including for a cover of the Ark and for women's shoes. Pretty sharp look, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, oh yeah, and everyone in any of the Twelve Tribes that breaks any rules is going to die. Just to keep them on their toes. Whilst we have their attention with rule, Moses quickly goes through the jealousy ritual. Basically, knocking about the wilderness for so long, it is inevitable that people are going to start fancying people they shouldn't, uh, marriages will be under a lot of strain and everyone will be fucking everyone else. If you do suspect your wife of cheating on you, but she denies it, before anyone is exiled or killed, you take the broad to the Levites, Ch- chaps with the ark, yeah. they are going to concoct a drink of water with grit in it or something, the woman will drink it. If her belly swells and her thighs blister, then she is guilty and will be killed. If she's fine, she's fine, and no doubt her husband will be outed as a dick of biblical proportions. Yeah, seems fair enough, because if we can't rely on magic, what on earth can we rely on? Problem is, that's a very specific symptom of guilt. So specific, in fact, that it's almost like this is an inevitable result of whatever poison is added to the water in the form of, you know, grit. Must be. Because if it was just simple magic then my god that would be a long walk back from the ceremony to your tent. Like a long, long walk. Apropos of nowhere, we get an insight into one of the specific rules for one of the tribes. The Nezerite make an oath to God which includes them not drinking any booze boo, and not cutting their hair. Ever. I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that this was added to numbers at a much later point as you would expect this to signal that we're about to go through all the individual tribes and their own magic laws that have all of a sudden sprung up out of nowhere. But we don't. We're having a lovely chat about how to murder a woman when we just get this aside. An aside that seems only to serve the purpose of foreshadowing. Later on we'll meet Samson who gets played by a sexy lady, loses his hair and gets weak. He was a Nazarite, so that would be the answer to that. Also, the story might not be quite as simple as I've outlined just there, but I'm fairly confident it is that simple. Or perhaps even less so. But anyway, that's enough looking forward. Let's get these Israelites moving There's a quick pissing on about the Sons of Levi and God installs some taxes. I mean, I would be pissed off with the Levites by now. They get monies in that from everyone, they don't have to fight, just chill out with the awesome Ark which shits fire everywhere and gets covered in clouds and is generally awesome as all hell and that's just the way. There are far too many things already, less than 10% into the book, far too many things that are simply given to us as, it's like that y'all and that's the way it is. Ah well, God quickly checks in that everyone remembers about Passover and not to tit about with dead bodies. Oh, that fire and clouds? When the ark is covered in fire, then the peeps will have to walk. When it's covered by cloud, they rest. A simple system, I salute you, Bible. By this stage, Moses has been working pretty hard. What with all the counting and ordering and finding bizarre ways to punish women and right, you know, how the jealousy test was designed to tell if the wife was lying or not when discussing her fidelity. And you know how Moses has a direct link to God who is all-knowing? Like a, a direct, they literally have conversations direct link? Could Moses not just ask God? I think my wife is having sex with someone else. What does she say? She denies it, obviously, but I'm still not sold. Hang on. God, did she? She did slash did not. Or, as the husband clearly isn't overly worried about offending his wife, we could speed this up by not involving her in the process at all. I think my wife is having sex with someone else. Hang on. God, did she? She did. Did not. Or, quicker still, can Moses arrange with God that as soon as anyone does one of the bad, forbidden, put-to-death things, that God will immediately know is happening? Can he not just disappear them on the spot? I mean, if you have an actual god on your side, you could really speed up all these little bits of admin. Although I'm pretty confident God wouldn't agree to this, he seems to have an annoying habit of making things unduly hard for his chosen people throughout this story. With everything we have so far seen, he clearly has the power to just magic them to their promised land immediately and wipe out any people that are indigenous to that place, but he chooses not to, although I'm not so sure this God makes the best decisions as he has chosen for his chosen people, the most whiny, petulant, childish little pricks he could. Regardless. Moses has been working hard is the point so God rewards him with giving him two magic tiny silver trumpets. That alone is pretty neat, but what follows is an intricate list of different types of blowing to inform the almost 700,000 strong group of people of stuff. One trumpet to summon the leaders of each tribe, two trumps to summon everyone, and then we get into a sort of Morse code level trumpet semaphore to signal a whole range of options. It's pretty neat and gives them all they need to start their arduous slog through the wilderness. Oh yeah, and Moses' father-in-law doesn't want to go, but not a lot comes of this, so onwards. Okay, so we're wandering now the whole lot of them plodding through the wilderness and of course they complain of fucking course they start moaning about everything i'm cold i'm hungry this is horrible we'll die we should leave like a big bunch of babies they are moaning about everything god isn't the most patient person that you've met and kills a few of them by burning them to death then there's a big to do with moses telling god to chill out and in the next breath telling god to shut up these complaining little children to attempt to resolve this, we start to formulate a plan of government where Moses will, s- will simply be talking to designated... Is this not the thing that was sorted out back in Exodus? We've already done this bit, and with no evidence to the contrary. I assumed they were still living like that. Yeah, well, perhaps this is a good jumping off point to discuss issues of authorship, chronology and editing, but we'll, we'll get to all that. We get a few extra magic people in the group who knock about prophesizing, saying how shit will work out. The rest of our complaining friends are angry at this because… well, just because they are fucking ungrateful, unreasonable and unintelligible. But anyway, shitloads of quails appear. Food, Food for all, for all. Next. next! We get some friendly squabbling here which seems a bit out of place as up to this point Aaron and Moses have been tight brothers, but you see, Moses is married to an Ethiopian woman, apparently, and Aaron is not happy with this at all. Not for any reasons that are made clear, I can only imagine that one translation of this gives a list of nationalities you're not allowed to associate with. So God is saying chill the fuck out, Moses is my boy. And as if a stern telling off isn't quite enough, God gives Aaron's wife leprosy. Let that sink in, dear listener. There are many worse things that happen in Bible, but in terms of unreasonable reactions, this may well be my favourite. You slag off your brother's wife, so your wife, not you, your wife, gets a horrific disease. I mean, imagine, if you will, you're Aaron's wife. You're married to the brother of this godlike leader and you get loads of perks, like not knocking about with lepers. Your loving husband looks into your eyes saying, Just seeing my bro, I'll see you in a bit. Kisses you, and then he's off. You potter about the place, making sure it looks nice for his return because God, you two are in love. Just thinking of him is enough to make you smile and definite Hang on, what's this? Well, how the fuck have I got leprosy? Thankfully, Moses steps in and a week later she's fine. The Israelites continue to pad around the wilderness, occasionally complaining about whatsoever is in their fucking eyeline at the time, but generally, all is quiet for a few verses. A few people are sent off ahead to climb a mountain and spy on a coming bit of land, see if Moses wants to steal it, and if it comes to a fight, will they be able to easily win, or will they need to use magic to win? The usual. The spies let us know that there is the land of the Canaanites, and I think more giants. Now hear me out. Way back in Genesis, when discussing giants They were referred to as Men of Renown. These are, possibly, the offspring of when angels banged women. I I had foolishly assumed that after the Flood, those big bastards got wiped out. But here they are. I mean, I could be wrong, I almost certainly am wrong. And don't go worrying, because nothing, absolutely nothing will come of this new information. But I guess a mild splattering of giants keeps us on our toes. So they're ready to go to war against these people so it's time for more complaining from these Israelites. God is fuming. Listen though, I will drop these pricks like a fucking stone if they don't shut up, like right now. Moses tries to calm him down saying okay, God people are going to think you're a Balend if you go around killing them. I know, I know, they are annoying, but you can't solve all your problems with death. God agrees that he won't kill them just yet, but they have to be told that he is not going to put up with their shit for much longer and he won't let them play in the land of milk and honey or anything. That was tense. We should probably hear about the different types of offerings again to calm things down, which was going great till a stranger got stoned to death. I'm not sure why, So up to this point it's been a bit whiny and like a bit wanky but all all together a gentle tale. Just enough narrative to keep you interested but not so much going on that you have to actually pay attention. At this point, either they changed writer or the one writer had a little too much to drink as following more complaining and Moses deciding he's had enough with this shit, the ground opens up, swallowing a load of complaining people. Lassos of flame jump from the open earth to drag people down and then there's a massive plague killing around 15,000 people. This is three sentences. Shit is getting all kinds of real right now. This brief, ever so very brief, descent into darkness seems hugely out of place. It's like a group of people are playing the story game where you write a line of a tale on a bit of paper, fold it over, hand it to the next person to write the next line and so on. the first few turns everyone just thinks, I should probably go over some counting and offering instructions. And then one guy who hasn't been invited before gets a little overexcited when it comes to his turn, immediately writing, THE FUCKING WORLD EATS PEOPLE AND THERE IS FIRE AND THERE IS A plague, AND THEN THEY And there, and it is so, so awesome. awesome. It's so jarring that there is literally no other way that this could have happened. But it all calms down a bit. Rods are exchanged, we bang on about the house of Levi looking after the Ark, and God decides that maybe, just maybe, he was being a little too hard on the Israelites and that from now on he will only bestow love upon them. No more dickish rages, no more ludicrous punishments. I wonder how long this will last. I'll tell you what, if you can guess, there'll probably be a prize in it for you. Okay, so, Aaron's wife dies and Israelites complain. Water pisses from a rock, miraculous that, uh, the swathe of people never learn God, God, is, God not is not with not us God oh look there he is brilliant, is brilliant. God, God is not is with not us oh good. look etc etc this goes on and on and on a few people are told that you can't go to the land of milk and honey because they have been little dickheads for too long and now less than five paragraphs from God saying he won't do mental punishments anymore a shitload of fire snakes are magic and bite all the rebels they will almost certainly die it would be Fair for them to complain at this point, because he has just said this won't happen. But as ever, Moses calms him down and God offers a way out. A snake is put on a pole. If the infected have a look at this, they will be saved. Easy uh incidentally the motif of a snake on a pole uh has been quite resonant for whatever reason it is still seen on loads of uh, medical logos which is pretty cool see if you persist with this podcast there will be at least some things that you learn you are most welcome Now, we get loads of chat about where they wander to, a list of shitloads of places. Every time they get there, the natives either accept them with open arms or get screwed over, standard colonial rules. As we come to the last section of the book, it is decided that we should be introduced to a host of new characters. We start with Moab. He has seen how dangerous the Israelites are, and to be fair to him, all the stories that are going to arrive at his door will concern a huge army that are laying waste to every single town they pass an unstoppable merciless group that are terrifying the entire world he is terrified when he learns they're heading his way so he warns his best friend a a guy called balaam right balaam is thinking oh dear this will not end well but god has a quiet word saying don't fuck with my peeps God has not had this quiet word with any of the other victims, but for whatever reason, Balaam gets it. Regardless, it doesn't much matter, as Balaam sort of, kind of goes a bit against God's will and rides an ass to go, I guess, fight the Israelites. This could be a problem for everyone, so God, ever the quick thinker, sends an angel not to appear to Balaam, because what good would that do, but instead, to appear to his ass. That's right, God decides the best way around and through this situation is to get the ass on side. Now as much as I am enjoying saying the word ass over and over, this does not seem like a sensible plan. The ass petrified by the magic angel, will not move forward. Balam is irritated and keeps trying to get his ass (laughs) to move, all to no avail. Nick Cave has sat down there taking notes, confusing as this seems to be, it is about to get more bizarre as the ass starts speaking to Balam. And instead of Balam going, holy shit, this animal's speaking my language perfectly, he decides to argue. This goes on for a bit. Why aren't you going where I want? Fucking angel, mate, I'm not going nowhere. Balaam, completely unfazed by this and does not see any problem until at long last the angel appears to him. Immediately he sees what's going on and thinks, this would have been so much quicker if I'd just seen the bastard angel to begin with. I honestly think the only reason for this bit of the story is is so we can have a talking ass. The bible started with a strong presence of talking animals and then quickly this waned. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come I am looking forward to a positive menagerie of talking animals as we move forward. We next get some classic God mischief as we're introduced to Balaam's friend Balak. Essentially, the two of them have long chats about Israel and God keeps making Balaam contradict himself within each sentence. It's childish, but it keeps God happy, I suppose. Then, we just Fuck all of them off. We're not interested anymore. Instead, we get repetition, offerings, complaining, laws being broken, blah blah fucking blah, blah, blah. A war starts between the Israelites and the Medonites, which leads to the interesting position of God ordering them to slaughter all the men, male children, women who aren't virgins, and keep all the female virgins as slaves. Nice one, God. More genealogy, more lists of where they went, and finally a war with the Canaanites. This will be the promised land. This will be the milk and the honey and all the good stuff. God spends ages dishing out different bits of land to the different tribes of Israel. Bit of chat about inheritance and we finish with some quick marriages. Ta-da!